To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? I've got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have on Mark Healy. Um, so this is just a great podcast. I'm interested in so many of the things that Mark does, and I, I really feel like he's living his best life. So he's a surfer by trait, and, and he's been able to travel the world uh, surfing these different waves and different competitions. And, and uh, so he's just got some amazing perspective. Um, he also loves to, to spear dive, and then um, also he's, he's real passionate about bow hunting. And he found bow hunting a handful of years ago, and he's been traveling back to the States on these amazing adventures, and then um, also where he lives there in Hawaii and doing some hunting there. But I just um, I'm always drawn to these guys that that uh, you know live a real passionate life that that spend every day they can trying to enjoy as much as they can and and Mark is is a prime example of that and so this is just a a great back and forth about enjoying life and we talk about surfing and and spear diving and then of course bow hunting and and the enjoyment we get out of that. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a, a great back and forth, a great podcast, and, and Mark's a great guy. So um, just super psyched to have him on and, and uh, to release it to you guys. So um, I really enjoyed it. I uh, hope you guys do too. Sponsor for today's show is Yeti. Um, Yeti has just absolutely changed the way I hunt. Uh, you know, the those coolers, they just keep ice longer. And so, you know, on a, on a, on a backcountry hunt or when I'm living out of my vehicle, I can keep ice for up to a week and and also I have a cool place to put my meat if I harvest a mule deer or an elk um, you know I can get it on in the cooler and get it on ice uh, a lot of my seasons a lot of the bow seasons fall during you know warm temperatures and warm weather where you need to get that meat cooled down and so Yeti allows me to do that it also allows me if I harvest a deer and I'm with a buddy that we can keep hunting that I know I can I can chill that meat and keep it the right temperature until I get it home you know in a few days to be able to butcher it up and so um yeah it's just amazing coolers i always like to add that they're a bear proof container so any place you have black bears or grizzly bears when you're camping on the national forest um you have to hang your meat in a tree every night or have a bear proof container and yeti qualifies for that you put a lock on either side and then you can just have your cooler in your camp because even stashing your food inside your vehicle does not count as a as a bear proof container i guess they can they can open that thing up like a like a can those those bears are just so powerful but um yeah it's a bear proof container which is a great thing and yeti just has so many great products too their their ramblers and their tumblers so their coffee cup i use every day um I am, I, coffee is my drug of choice. I, I love a good cup of coffee, a warm cup of coffee, and it keeps it warm all day long. I also love their thermos. Um, so when I, when I make my coffee in the morning, you know, I can, I can make a thermos and then travel with it and have it on the vantage point, but just a, a great company with great products. And thanks to those guys for, for sponsoring the podcast. Yes, and over there at Eastman's, um, man, it looked like uh, Ike just arrowed a really good buck in Colorado. I haven't got the story on it yet, but uh, yeah, he got it with that new uh, Matthews Verdicts, um, so super pumped for him there. I've been working on my bows a ton here lately, um, shooting every single day, of course, but uh, yeah, just just working on my tuning. Um, I, I took on a new, I, I'm now uh, torque tuning my bows, which is a really cool theory, which, you know, basically at 20 yards or any distance, 40 yards, you know, you shoot a vertical line of tape and then you torque your bow to the left and then you shoot at that tape and you adjust by moving your your rest and your sight away from or to your riser and eventually you get it to where you can torque your bow to the left or the right and it still hits that middle tape line um i think it's just a real forgiving tune and you know i always thought well i always grip my bow the same every time i shoot but you never know when you're leaning around a tree shooting a downhill angle uh, have a bunch of clothes on where you're just going to torque that bow a little bit um but to still have that arrow hit in the middle it, it's just a real forgiving tune in that thing but just spending a lot of time with my bows been shooting a little indoor here um, which really helps with my form um back to shooting um 
the handheld release. I really like that. So yeah, just been working on my shooting game, been running my miles and, and, uh, getting ready for this next hunt in Arizona. So we're all gonna, all the Eastman's, um, well, I'm not sure if all the Eastman's, but I know Brandon Mason, Scott Reekers, Ike Eastman. Um, I'm, I'm sure Guy Eastman will be there too. Uh, we're going to do the, the ATA show. So really looking forward to that. I got my tickets there and so fly out to Kentucky. I've never been to a show, so um, we'll see how it is. But going to record some really good podcasts. We got some really good guests coming up and and uh, just trying to get you guys the absolute best content I can. And and this one's a good one. I, I really had fun talking to Mark. Like, just uh like one of my secrets my wife always teases me that I want to be a, a full-time dirt bag and dirt bag isn't the right terminology and that's definitely not what mark is but it's um like we tease uh, about it that you know to be able to do what you love every single day and and I love construction and I love doing those projects but um, you know I've always had this dream of just being able to to live every day and and hunt and fish the river and um, you know do the things that that I enjoy and um, so I, I'm always drawn to that like uh, climbing guys that that just climb and live out of their van or live out of their their vehicle or you know or uh, uh, skateboarders or surfers or um, but just living your passion every single day. I'm just so drawn to that. So uh, this is a great podcast. Mark lives his best life and and uh, just a really fun conversation. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Um, Eastman's Elevated, uh, Mark Healy, here we go. Yo! Yo, Mark, how's it going? Good, man. Yourself? Yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> Solid. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, thanks for being on, man. I sure appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. I'm happy to be on. Yeah, um, so killer. Um, yeah, so we connected through Robin there um, in Hawaii, my buddy there. Um, yeah, it's just great to have you on the podcast. I know you're a diehard bow hunter. Uh, I just got, I got so many questions for you, but dude, those waves in that tournament this weekend, where is that tournament at? Maui? Yeah. So that's on the North shore of Maui at a place called Peahi, but it's uh, more commonly known to the public as Jaws. It looks like Jaws, man. Those waves are giant this weekend, huh? Yeah. It feels like it too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, it made me nervous just watching your videos. The perspective is so cool. Like, uh, it's actually from somebody sitting out there in the ocean and then watching those waves. Like, how big do you think those things are getting? Um, I'd imagine some of the bigger waves, which we didn't even catch. Um, I mean, they have to be like 60-foot faces. But something to keep in mind is uh, what makes a really big difference is the interval of the swell, which means the amount of time in between – each wave and the longer the interval the greater the velocity and energy so it was maximum power for a 60 foot wave you know is a 60 foot wave hitting like a 80 foot wave jesus <laughs> that's crazy man um man 60 footer like the the consequences of something like that it has to be so intense and take absolutely every every fiber of your focus to just be able to to get on one of those and there has to be like a like a little element of fear too i would think oh yeah you're you're definitely very nervous and uh i don't think there's anything even close to the concept of comfort out there <laughs> i always say you kind of feel like uh, on those blue planet documentaries where there's the bait balls and they they have the tuna and the dolphins and the birds hitting them, and then the one last bait fish that's just scared for its life that's going to get picked off with nowhere to hide. That's kind of how you feel out in that lineup. But um, <laughs> And it's tricky because the only way, the only way to have a chance is to absolutely put that out the window and be 100% put your head down. And So it's this, this funny line you have to draw between trying to be intelligent and trying to be efficient at the same time yeah man um it is like i i just love like uh, the adventurous lifestyle and it just seems like um when you're when you're doing things and, and you are a little fearful or there are major consequences like like there's a little added 
added rush you get and 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 you're right you have to weigh your options like you definitely can't be reckless and you definitely can't put yourself in a bad situation but in the same time, it's got to feel really good when you accomplish it and ride something big like that and and, and come away with a, a good score, good feelings anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's – I can't think of anything else I've experienced that's like that. Um, it You're basically – I don't know. It's like you have ideas of things that you want to do all day long. You have concepts. You have these all these what ifs and scenarios that you play through your mind and going out and doing something like surfing jaws on a day like that for me is when it gets put into practice in the most pure way. I feel like there needs to be consequences and you need to test your theories. Um, otherwise, it, they're just ideas and you'd be an old man talking about what if. Oh, isn't that the truth? Um, how'd you ride? Um, I got, I managed to get one wave, which I got, ended up getting absolutely destroyed on. I mean, I made it for most of the wave and just got annihilated towards the end. And, uh, yeah, kind of tried to regroup pretty much everything that could have went wrong, went wrong as far as the wipeout went and, uh, regroup, got to the channel, got another board cause my board broke. And uh, I was kind of like, oh, I better take it easy, man. I'm I'm winded, and I inhaled some water, and uh, took it easy for about 30 seconds. Went straight back out and got like a 50, 60 footer broke right in front of me as soon as I got back out and got even worse of a beating within 10 minutes. So it was exciting. I haven't got uh, my clock clean like that in years. <laughs> Brutal. Um, so much power in those things, and I and I have no idea. Like I, I, I'm talking smaller waves, and I've just felt a little bit of the washer machine, the washing machine, and the the power generated by those things. But but those giant waves that you're talking about, the the power, like a, uh, it, it's got to be even hard to fathom the power in those things. And when something goes wrong, like to break your board, that could have been you, you know, at the same point. Oh, yeah. Like you say, take a take a break, a third. 30 seconds isn't much of a break to clear your head and get things right. And then, like, um, it's, like, always changing. Like, even you don't know what the wave's going to present or you don't even know what you're up against. You just have to throw yourself in that moment and then try to react to it. But there's no guarantee you're even in the right part of the wave or or, or what the wave's going to do. Like, it's almost out of your control. You just have to react to it, it seems like to me from the outside. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you you nailed it right there. Um, there. There just has to be a certain point where you just say it and throw any kind of thought out the window and it's head down and live with your decision. <laughs> Man, that's um, it's so cool. It's so cool for me to just think about and um, like ask questions about and hear your insight into it as you're living it. But man, you're really living your best life. It looks like um, you're having fun all the time with everything you do. Um, I'm also just super interested in um, your spearfishing. I saw, I saw this Wahoo that you, um, that you speared, that was like 134 pounds that like those fish are so powerful and, and you're doing a lot of deep water diving, right? Yeah. So, um, it, it's a varied approach to spearfishing depending on what you're targeting. Um, okay. there's some deeper water stuff. Like for instance, dog to tuna is like one of the most sought after spearfishing, uh, fish to go around the world and look for and you you can be diving pretty deep for those you know over 100 feet um, but wahoo are generally pretty close to the surface i'd say most of the wahoo i pull the trigger on is around 20 feet deep so they're just out in blue water hunting the surface and uh, that's that's how deep it was when i shot that monster um yeah, you just see them coming in out of nowhere. They just appear because they can come from any direction, and you just try to make a, a play on them and uh, be as relaxed and smooth as possible because that that last three seconds or so, right when you're getting into range for a shot, uh, is when you can make or break the situation. 
Um, so, um, yeah, so I guess I don't have my terms right. So not so much deep water, but blue water. So like any of the spearfish, just a little tiny bit of experience that I have is like around reefs where you can see the bottom where at most it's 20 feet deep, but you're out in blue water, you know, where you can't see the bottom. And, and so you go out on a boat and then you start diving and you dive, uh, no oxygen, right? So it's all right. your own lungs, correct? Correct. Yep. And then um, you probably use a, a spear gun out there. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Blue water spear gun is what we call them. So it's got four bands that you use your arms to pull back, um, similar to, I guess, a crossbow. So that muscle power is being translated into the gun and stored until you pull the trigger. Okay. And then you talk about the last three seconds being so intense. Do you relate that to bow hunting before you get a shot at an animal? Well, yeah, there are a lot of similarities. For my personal experience, because I've been spearfishing since I've been surfing, like eight years old, um, and being a bow hunter for about five years now, uh, I definitely don't have my shit as together. At the moment of truth, bow hunting as I do spearfishing, you know, I can, I can have the fish of a lifetime in front of me and I'm pretty, pretty calm. My heart rate's not going up, but uh, it's definitely a different story, bow hunting. Yeah, well, um, it's it's so tough and challenging, and I think as humans, like we're drawn to these these tough endeavors where you have this intense amount of pressure on you, and you have to perform. And like when I'm, you know, I've got a, a bunch of things that I enjoy to do in nature, but all of them seem to tie to these high pressure situations and trying to keep my cool, keep my calm, and, and then perform under that intense amount of pressure, you know? And, and, and when you're doing that, like the same thing, like riding the wave, like we were talking about, it just takes all your focus, all, all your thought process, you know, you have to harness all your energy and that's all you can think about. And so like all your daily problems wash away, all your, your stresses, anxieties, you know, whatever you have going on, it all washes away and you have to focus and be in that moment. And I love being in that moment and, and seeing that. And that's, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why I do it or why I love it. But I, I got to imagine that's the way it is when you're spearfishing, you get out there and it, it just takes absolutely all your focus. But how so you shoot one of these big fish, so you're out there and you kind of hunt them and stalk them, right? You're swimming around and you're looking for bait fish or you're looking for, you know, the predator fish like the wahoo or the tuna that you're looking to shoot. You see them, it's intense, and you're trying to, to sneak up and make a stalk without them taking off. And then in that last three seconds, you make the shot. What's that like after you make the shot? Like, how do you land that fish? That fish has just got to drag you around the ocean, I would think. I saw a tuna you shot that it looked like that thing was 200 pounds. And those things are powerful fish, some of the most yeah. powerful in the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're targeting blue water fish and you know you're going to be getting into possibly some big stuff, you have a tagline that's attached to the end of your spear line. So you have your spear shaft. Um, and a certain amount of line that's wrapped up, kind of coiled around your gun. And at the end of that line is a loop. And I have a tagline that's, uh, depending on the depth, I'm thinking I may have to dive. You know, so I'm, I'm running like 120 feet of tagline to my first buoy. There's a section of bungee in there to kind of absorb some of the pull of the fish because on their initial run, when they catch, pull that slack and hit the um, hit the tension of the first buoy, they can just, you know, 400-pound monofilament can just snap. I've seen it happen a pl plenty of times. So you want a little give, and um, I'm running two uh, buoys when I shot that, and each buoy has about 90 to 100 pounds of lift, and they're separated by 15 feet of bungee, which can stretch to 45 feet. So you got to imagine – you have to kind of do the math. So when something that has 90 pounds of lift gets down to 30 feet, it should have about 60 pounds of lift left because of the pressure compressing the air. And that's when they hit the second buoy. So when I shot that Wahoo, I actually didn't even realize how big it was. Um, because in blue water, you don't have anything for perspective. You know, it's just blue. It's hard to tell it takes a long time to figure out your distance from things and just how big they are. Um, so usually you're 
a lot like hunting, you're looking at, at their um, body characteristics. But this one was so evenly proportioned. It was proportioned like a 60-pounder, but it, I knew it was bigger, and I shot it. And then after I shot it, I was sitting there watching it run off, and I looked to my side, and I saw my second buoy at 20 feet just rocketing off in the distance. So it managed to pull two buoys. So at that point, it would have been 60 plus 90, 150 pounds of lift. Got it down 20 feet, was taken off. <laughs> That's right. crazy. Yeah, so I just chase it down get to the back buoy, hold on and have it drag me around until it starts tiring out and then bring it up and try to keep it away from the sharks. Wow. So, so you just ride that last buoy and he just takes you around in the ocean and, and you just got this, 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 um, this, this alpha predator fish that, you, that pulls you around the ocean on that buoy. It's got to go pretty quick. Those fish could swim pretty, pretty fast. Like I would, I imagine the buoy slow him down a little bit, but Man, oh man, that's got to be like you have that intense encounter right before you shoot them, but the excitement keeps going of trying to land the fish, hoping the spear won't pull, hoping he is going to stop and die at some point. 134 pounder, I'm sure he's got a lot of go in him. Man, that's just wild. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's similar to bow hunting in that you know you're making your decisions that follow the shot based on how good you think your shot was. So the amount of pressure you're going to apply to the fish. Um, how you're going to play it. Uh, also, you know, in certain locations like where I shot that, there's a ton of sharks and they're not shy. And so you really can't have a bad shot because you're going to have to end up horsing them up to try to beat the sharks. And, you know, you run the risk of ripping them out. So in locations like that, I'm not going to take a super far shot. I need to know I I'm going to have a good shot for sure. Because I know I'm gonna need to fight it. <laughs> what what's a uh, like a good shot distance for you? Like on a fish like that, what are you trying to get to on those fish? So they say the gun that I'm shooting that it has an effective range of like 35 feet, but I doubt that I've ever taken a shot over 15 feet away. Wow! So you got to get really close to those things. Um, like like what's your technique for getting close to to fish like that? You do you, you spot them first, right in the water, and then kind of take it from there. Yeah. So um, to use that particular instance as an example, uh, I saw three of them coming in, and they're heading at me with good intentions. So I was like, okay, these if I don't screw this up, these guys are gonna swim right up to me. I have a little thing called, I call it a hand grenade. It's a piece of PVC pipe, one inch PVC that I put reflective, reflective tape around and keep it on my belt. So if I see the Wahoo coming from my right hand side, I'll take that off and I'll throw it as far as I can to the left side of me. And it falls like a, a kind of a falling leaf motion and is shining. And then they direct their attention at that and it makes them want to cross my path to get to that to check it out. And um, it's really when you leave the surface to, to kick down towards them, uh, that's when you can really mess it up because you don't want a lot of movement. So what I did in that instance and what I do a lot of times is I just exhaled all my air so I could just sink and just sink down and watch their body language, watch how their eyeballs looking because they'll be like looking at the hand grenade, looking at you, looking at the hand gr grenade, and I'm waiting for that moment when they lock back in on it. And that's when I take my shot. Oh, how cool. Uh, yeah, there's so many nuances to it, just like anything, but uh, so much uh, uh, skill involved. And then, um, you know, so so much of it is instincts, too, just from your past experiences, like learning from it and getting better and then, you know, having all the right tools. But, man, how cool. You had to be stoked to get a fish like that. Probably ate really good, too. I know those Wahoo are really good eating. I love bringing them back when I when I come out to the islands there. Oh, yeah, they're delicious, and I, I've never even seen one that big in real life ever. Dude, they don't, they don't get that big, do they? Well, put it this way. If, if it would have had a lunch that day, it would have been the spearfishing world record. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What was, uh, what's the uh, uh, spearfishing world record? Uh, 138. Oh, my so gosh. Oh, my gosh. How wild, dude. Um. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. Uh, I, 
like I, I'm so drawn to like nature and these experiences we get like that you can create out there and and whether it's like a you're, you're surfing finding a wave you're spear fishing or or bow hunting the islands or bow hunting back here in the states like um I, I just love creating these encounters that are that are really rare and and working hard for them and putting in the effort and then seeing something like those that like that type of wahoo or, or seeing those predator fish chasing bait fish which would be going on uh, whether you're there or not but when you're there to witness it and be part of it like i i just i chase that constantly in bow hunting like the the elk rut like um trying to get into those those elk parties where they're bugling like crazy and they're breeding cows and they're fighting bulls and they're you hear three four hundred bugles that day and you just walk a walk away from it it's something you you just always remember it's burned in your memory and like when you close your eyes at night like i can just see bulls bugling or i can see yeah, bulls walking I like I, <laughs> yeah i just i absolutely love that and i um, it, as different as they all are, I still feel like they're related, and it seems like I'm just drawn to these experiences in nature. Like, like those are my favorite. Whether I'm, you know, trail run, running, hunting, whether I'm fishing, whatever it is, like I'm just drawn to those experiences. I think it's so neat to be part of, and it wouldn't be the same. Like, like high fence is not the same as going out and finding the elk rut. Like it's too easy. Uh, us as humans, we need that, that challenge or it needs to be with, you know, how many days did you spearfish before you saw a fish like that? You know, probably 20, 30 days that year, if not more hundreds and hundreds of days throughout your lifetime to create oh, yeah. that experience. And I think that's what makes it so special. And, and uh, part of that, that is so interesting is like, yes, put hundreds of days in, but still, I could have easily took somebody who's been spearfishing for a week and that could have swam up to them. And if they didn't screw it up, they could have got the fish of a lifetime. So they, when you get into these things, there's always that wild card that you're, you're, you know, is unlikely, but you know, it happens. You could get just be in the right place at the right time as well. So it, it keeps you engaged. Are you an eternal optimist where you always believe it's going to be the best day of fishing you've ever had or the best day of hunting you've ever had? Um, I just like being out. Cool. As long as, like I almost get – honestly, like I almost get a little sad when I tag out because I, I can't go back out really or I could, but it, I just wouldn't be as engaged necessarily. Um, I, I, I love the process. I love the challenge. Um. And I, I like kind of grinding things out and getting in that mode where you just, you know, your head down and you don't get tired. You know, my my brain's so wrapped up in what I'm doing that that there's nothing else that can do that for me. You know, I pro it's probably I'm probably on the ADD spec spectrum on normal day to day thought life, anyways. So maybe I like those kinds of things more because it keeps me present. Yeah, me too. Just um, totally wired the same. But I, I do. I don't know if that's what motivates me day in, day out. But I always feel like it's going to be a really good day of hunting. I never feel like it's going to be so so. I always feel like today's the day. And if it's not, I enjoy the process, like you're saying. No matter what, I enjoy being out there. But the next day is probably going to be the day, or the day after that. Like I, yeah. I'm always believing that it's going to be that epic day, even though nine out of ten days aren't, or even ninety nine out of a hundred aren't. But I, I always believe it's the day i'm gonna find the the big buck or the big bull or whatever so i i'm an eternal optimist is the only reason why i asked the question yeah and and something else for me is that i've spent so much time um spearfishing and surfing that i i know how much experience plays into getting good at something or successful so to me this five years of bow hunting is gone in a blink of an eye and every day, even if I don't see an animal, I feel like I'm working on my, my, uh, my bachelor's degree. You know, I'm, I, I am making progress every single day if I'm paying attention and retaining whatever lessons I learned that day. So I'm, I'm excited still because I'm, I'm in that process, and I think it's, I'll be in that process for a long time, if not forever. <laughs> yeah, man, that's it. Like I, I was just saying the other day, I don't know if I'll ever have it mastered, and I think that's what draws me to it is that constant improvement and learning curve and just always trying to get better, always trying to be more prepared, uh, better instincts from experience. Like I, I, I love – 
I I love being engaged in something, and it, and it it uh, it ties up a, a lot of my thoughts. Like I'm always thinking about the the next hunt or uh, the hunt I had, and and I when I'm thinking about something that I enjoy and I'm that passionate about, like like I just I enjoy it to the fullest, and I I, I don't I I found this this crazy sport of bow hunting and, and uh, I, I just love it so much and love being engaged in it. It's such a, such a cool thing that we found, but there are so many things like that. Like you say, uh, relating to your surfing and, and spearfishing and stuff. So five years in bow hunting, um, man, like you've, you've got to bring like, uh, I, I feel like when you're the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And you're so good at, at spearfishing and surfing. Like, I got to think you bring that same process to bow hunting and that same learning curve. Uh, my my process is probably different than most people. I'm just really stubborn. I, what I, <laughs> if, whenever I lack in skill, I just tr- figure I try harder than everyone else or throw more time or more energy at something. So, <laughs> I don't like, I don't come in early from hunting days or anything like that. I, I, uh, you know, I, I try to build my skills, but at the same time, I know you're not going to win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, uh, again, like just similar mindsets. Like I have this saying that persistence is deadly. Like if I just keep going, like I'm not the best shot in the world. I'm not the best stalker in the world. Like I'm not the best at finding spots, but, but the one thing I do have is I will keep grinding. Like I just keep going. I keep trying to create that situation. And, and even after I, I mess up a situation or mess up a stock, it, it's like I, you know, I, I, I try to forget about it and try to, you know, you try to learn from it and get better from yeah. it, but I try to go create it again. You know, I just start working hard to try to find another opportunity, create another stock, you know, try to try to make it happen because the animals are going to win a lot of the time. It's just bow hunting's extremely difficult. And so, you know, a lot of times it's not going to work out and it's easy to get gloom and doom and, and think, boy, that was my opportunity. That was my chance. My hunt's over. But it's not. You can create it again. You might create it again the next day, or might even find a, a you know, a, a better encounter or a, a better stock on an animal. So I'm with you, man. I think persistence is deadly. You just keep grinding, and and that stubborn attitude, I think, is what what <laughs> makes you consistently successful. Oh, thanks. I, I hope so. Um, but yeah, I I just love being in nature and away from the background noise and. And uh, I mean, that's the kind of person I am. I'd, I'd be perfectly happy not dealing with <laughs> modern life, but uh, it's kind of a necessity in a lot of ways for me. But uh, yeah, so I, I really cherish those times. Yeah, it's got to help you um, unwind and kind of blow off steam. Like I know I always come back from hunts like more appreciative of – you know, of my family and the life I have and the the life I live, like it gives me time to reflect. And um, like, I can't, I don't think real clearly when I'm in the hustle and bustle every day. And I, you know, I'm, I'm to work and I, I'm dealing with this problem and this sh- issue. Like I, I can't think clearly about my life and my direction, but it seems like when I get out there, you know, in between stocks or enjoying nature, enjoying the process, like, man, I can really reflect back at, in my life and, and, and where I want to be and what I want to be doing. And it just seems like I come back a happier person. Yeah, completely. And it's just, I mean, I learned, I I was really lucky to learn a long time ago. Well, I've been traveling around the world since I was about 14. Um, so got to see a lot of different places and perspectives on life. You know, I got to grow up a really, what I consider a great way here in Hawaii but, you know, spending time and living in villages and no running water, things like that, like, man, just to get a glass of water that doesn't taste like God knows what, you know, that's the best drink you've ever had in your life. And it's really perspective. It's like I kind of like not not that I'm bagging on food and like I love great food and everything. But you see, you know, all these people that have a bunch of of wealth it's like they got to eat something different every night i'm like man go with limited supplies for a couple days back in the mountains or on a boat anything's going to taste that good (laughs) (laughs) isn't that the truth um yeah i bet that has given you a lot of perspective in life is just seeing how 
other people live and and what they make do with and then to come back and kind of you know and, and not that i i blame anybody but that that gluttonous just that uh you, you know that that wealth and to be able to see people that are that are living but I, I don't know if those people are really enjoying the wealth and enjoying i don't know if they're really truly happy and sometimes like i would think you'd travel to some of these places and people are living with a lot less that are a lot happier oh hell yeah definitely I mean, when all you have to do is in your day is be out in nature, make sure that there's at least one coal to restart the fire and uh, make sure you're catching water. It's nice and simple. You know, I think one of the dangers of living in our Western culture um, is that we kind of, I guess, uh, we equate success to ease of life and ease of life doesn't make anybody happy. Like, you can see it. You need struggle to be happy. Otherwise, you don't have anything. You have no perspective. Man, you're so right. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, obviously the way that you're living li your life and the, the the way I'm trying to live mine, too. Just, um, gosh, not chase a buck my whole life. That's not what's going to make me happy. Like, I, I chase adventure and experiences, you know, and, and, and try to really value my family and my friends and, and the time I get to spend with them. Like, I think that's what's important, and that's what creates happiness. Yeah, definitely. And it, another thing I always say, it's like it's really interesting, those times where everything comes together, you're in a flowing state, there's consequences. You, you'll remember those moments forever and forget entire, like, months of your life it's like so much of your life is like how you can drive and just space out driving have your mind somewhere totally different and not even remember what you saw in front of you for an hour drive and still somehow pull it off on autopilot like i feel like these punctuations in your life timeline of these moments they might be short but they're more meaningful than large chunks of time yeah, man, like uh, not going through the – you're not just going through the motions. Like, um, yeah, you remember them forever. They're in intense encounters that are ingrained in your mind. Yeah, that's um, so cool, man. So uh, do you – so you don't live on Maui, right? You live on Oahu, is that right? Yep, I'm okay. on Oahu. I live on the North Shore over here. That's okay. where I grew up. All right, right on. Um, so you guys don't have access deer on Oahu, right? Do you guys um, – you guys have pigs there? Unfortunately, we do not. I – I wish, but it's probably a good thing, you know, for the land. But, uh, yeah, we got uh, pigs and goats on Oahu. Yep. Um, you think it's a good thing for the land just because those those axis deer thrive um, in that habitat and tend to eat a lot of the choice grasses that the native habitat or the native um, fauna would eat? Well, I mean, Oahu actually might be a different story because there's not a lot of low elevation native species really left um so i don't know how much they'd actually impact the environment on oahu uh there is erosion issues but there's no way they'd be as bad as the the goats and the pigs um but the outer islands have a lot more of the endemic species that are endangered oahu they're more in the higher elevations um yeah, so actually, Oahu would probably be the best island to have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have a hard time with that because I, I, I just love those axis deer, and they, I feel like they're so well suited for the Hawaiian Islands. Like I know they come from India, is where you know they they originally come from, and brought to the king over there on a on a couple different islands, um, Lanai and Maui, and and um, but man, they're so well suited for the habitat, and it's like this renewable resource for the for the locals, and the axis are just so tasty and so fun to hunt and i know you know there there has to be some eradication or at least some control of the populations because they do thrive there as the you know it's 80 degrees and sunny every single day and so they'll rut the entire year round and and i understand their populations do have to be controlled but i love seeing them there um i love hunting them they're just such a cool species like they have to be one of my favorite species to hunt of all the species i've ever gone after they're really challenging and switched on um they're just an exciting animal to hunt you you gotta have quite a bit of experience hunting them too out there on the islands do you travel quite a bit and then and then hunt axis yeah i i bounce outer island <laughs> pretty much anytime i have a chance and go meet up with my my buddies on those islands and and hunt axis deer. I mean, the meat is incredible. 
Like we all we eat is axis deer and whatever elk I get in October. Got some mule deer in there right now, but um, the meat's incredible. Uh, super challenging. Uh, you know, the most challenging animals I've gotten to hunt yet, and I hear from a lot of my experienced friends when they come over that they're probably the most challenging spot in stock. But at the same time, if you're in a decent area, there's so many numbers. Like you can get screwed up like five times in a day and still have a shot at something. So uh, it really, you know, it's a, it's a rare kind of situation where you can hunt year round something that's super challenging to hunt, but the numbers are so great that you're gonna you're gonna see deer every day. Yeah, that's the way I think of it too. They are one of the most switched on animals, toughest ones to spot and stock, but their their numbers are high to where you get a lot of opportunity. And so you can mess up and you can go find another stock to where, you know, elk hunting like like you've done and experienced now, which is just awesome here in the States, but you yep. can go you know, you can go a whole week or two week or a whole season. You might only get one or two chances at a bull, you know, the one or two chances. You can get that on a morning hunt on an axis, but they, they are extremely switched on and tough to get right and then you get everything right on those things and those dang things will jump your string and get out of the way of the air they like uh react like the matrix so they they are the ultimate challenge but you're right you get a lot of opportunity which i think makes it really fun Uh, anytime i have high opportunity hunts for bow hunting that's my jam i love that oh absolutely and they and they can be so tough too i think it's um the way that their their skin slides against you know the fascia of in between their their muscle it's like you can get a great shot on I've, I've had great shots on them and haven't seen any blood and you just basically like on your hands and knees for hours looking at hoof prints and uh and applying them so it's just there's not a lot of things working in your favor besides the numbers <laughs> that's the truth um yeah, um, that's wild you say that, like uh, not draw much blood, um, and they're tough animals too. Like bow hunting, it's it's such a precision game too. Like um, we don't get the, the shock of, of, of rifle, you know, the, where you can hit them and, and, and cause mass trauma and, and oh. wound them up to where you can get them. Like with an arrow, they have to bleed to death. And so really it's you got to hit the vitals, lungs, heart, or liver, and they die. Or if you don't, like you've got like a one one in 10 chance or you know maybe it's a little bit more than that you know that you hit an artery or a vein or it bleeds or you can you can uh, sick them up enough to where you can get another shot but it's really a precision game and, and there again it's those those intense encounters like i love the nuances of the bow hunting stock and when you get really close to those axes you just can't get away with much or any animal for that matter but especially those axes you just can't get away you know any movement any any way whether you expose yourself or your silhouette or or getting your bow up and then getting your bow drawn there's so many chances for those things to catch you that it's so extremely difficult but and humbling as well but that's the fun of it isn't it It feels so good when you get it right on on one of those switched on critters yeah and i mean there's always some dough somewhere that's just (laughs) the same way you're you're talking about you know shutting your eyes at night and just seeing bull elk, it's like I, I, I'll have like months of my life where you know I'm laying down to go to sleep and I swear I can hear a doe barking at me. For <laughs> that noise so much. Yeah, I love that feeling, man. I lose my mind when I come to Hawaii to hunt those things. Like I, I, I go so hard like you, and I, I just I. You know, and it's not that I need to kill one or anything. I, I'm just immersed in the challenge, but I I do want to I want to harvest one. You know, I want I want to get it right. I I want that next chance. And yeah, same thing. I close my eyes every night and just all I can see is axis deer walking through the grass or hearing them uh, with their with their call. And and uh, my Hawaiian buddies like our our. Um, our buddy that we have in common, Robin Keen, he's a heck of a bow hunter. And then I yep. also run around with uh, Janus and and Sean. And uh, man, I mean, they are dialed on those axes. And you know, I I 
I live my life to be a good bow hunter, but it's amazing. Those guys, um, I, I think they're just so in tune with their environment and they've hunted those axes so much, but man, they turn up and shoot some really good bucks. They're, they're really good bow hunters no matter what they're hunting, but mm-hmm. when I go to Hawaii, yeah, I'm so humbled by what great hunters they are getting close and harvesting these mature bucks because I know how tough it is, you know? So it, it's really fun to, to, to go over and experience that. So yeah, you have a magical place over there in Hawaii with the the ocean spear diving and surfing like everything that you that you love and that that your life revolves around you kind of get to experience off those islands man it's really cool yeah i mean i could easily keep traveling around bumping around islands for a long time like i i'm so accustomed to traveling if i'm home for a month it's weird for me to be home a month straight but uh gosh there's so much and and one of the best things about uh picking up a bow is I've seen so many absolutely amazing places in the state that I grew up in that I didn't know existed and I probably never would have saw otherwise. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and that's um, like I love traveling around the states, uh, Hawaii, Alaska, you know, wherever I can go bow hunt. I love seeing it, but I'm different. Like a lot of people travel to to see the sights or see a city or see, and, and I like want to go out and see the most um, extreme nature out there. Like the like the I, I want to see the mountains and those Hawaiian mountains, like that Lanai and the, that mountain range and that gnarly steep. It's so cool just to see that with your own eyes. But I. I I love traveling to these different places and seeing extreme nature like like that's my stuff. So um, I'm wired a little bit different, but I, I guess wired the same as, as you as you just want to go out and see nature, whether it's out in the ocean or or out on the Hawaiian Islands. But it's neat that you get to experience something different that you didn't see your whole life growing up there. And now through bow hunting, like you're getting to experience a different part of the islands. That's pretty wild. Yeah. And and through it also too, like seeing native species that I've like endangered species of birds and plants that I I've only seen in uh, textbooks as a kid, you know? So it really allowed me to learn a lot more about the place uh, I come from. Yeah, that's really neat. And then, um, so you traveled to the States now, you said you have mule deer in your freezer, uh, and elk congratulations on those. Like what have your experiences back, uh, experiences been like coming out to the States and, and hunting different places for elk and mule deer? Oh, man, it, awesome. So I got to come in, hunt elk for the first time last year, and uh, I was with uh, Ryan Callahan and Kenton Cruz. Uh, they kind of hosted me, got to go stay at their house. And Oh, those guys are great guys. Yeah, awesome. We, you know, just hunted for a week. Uh, I got lucky <laughs> and shot a beautiful bull on public land, and uh, but just... It was mind blowing seeing so much amazing terrain and knowing that it's public land and you can go there. Um, I have, it looked like a movie set everywhere I went. Like it's too beautiful to be real almost. And, you know, hanging out with those guys, it's just, you're, you're pissing yourself laughing the whole time. Every, you know, between the three of us, uh, talking trash, it, it keeps you, uh, keeps you in good spirits. And so that that was my first experience. I got an elk, and I was like, as long as I'm physically capable, I'm never missing an elk season ever. Oh, good for you, man. Yeah, and congratulations. Well, you capitalized on your opportunity, and it always takes you know a bit of luck to have that opportunity present itself, but capitalized and made your shot. It just has to be due to that experience there on Hawaii, hunting those axis, and then your ability to, to keep calm in the moment. But man, that is so killer. And I, I know what you're saying, like every place looks like a movie set. Like I always say, every place looks like a painting, every direction, 360 degrees. And yeah, we are so fortunate that we are able to, to own this land out here, this public land and be able to disappear and have these adventures when, you know, like for me, I'm just a, a blue collar construction worker, you know, that, that, that works hard and, and makes a living. But then I'm going, I, I'm able to go have these amazing adventures and experiences out on these, these remote mountains. Like, I just I think that's so cool that we have that opportunity as U.S. citizens, and and that's why we have to fight to protect it. Oh, absolutely! Like I I didn't fully grasp what the whole public land thing was all about until I got to go see a tiny, tiny, tiny portion of it. I was like, oh my god! Like 
this is something special. There's nothing like that in the world um, where there's that much public land that you can hunt as well and is managed and there's as much science behind uh, making sure the animal populations are healthy. Uh, it's something that, you know, has never existed before the United States put it in place and doesn't currently exist anywhere else. So we can't screw that up. You know, that the plant is grown. All it takes is watering it at this point. So uh, we can't uh, neglect it. That's for sure. We're going to make sure these greedy bastards don't take it. <laughs> yeah, well put. Exactly. Well, um, yeah, you talk about uh, pissing yourself hanging out with those guys. Like the the bond that you create through hunting, and, you know, and, and fishing and different endeavors that you go on and trips that you go on. But that relationship with those buddies is really special. It seems like the, the only buddies I have nowadays are things are, are buddies that I plan things with, that I go and do these things with. But there's no funner time in my life than sharing a camp with a good friend like that as as uh, every everybody everybody's having fun and there's no place on planet Earth you'd rather be than right there. And to be able to enjoy it with a like minded in, individual like I, I really cherish those relationships and bonds that I built and that I have with my buddies and I I do anything for them and I know they do anything for me. But I think that's that's special in in this life, you know, right now. Yeah, I, I mean, and if you think of how many people you that are that are friends or acquaintances that you've known or been around for years, how much time you've actually spent with no distractions, sitting down, or when you've run out of things to talk about, <laughs> you know, you've probably only spent a cumulative like hour around that person. But you go one day hunting and you're twelve hours with very little distractions with another person you end up getting to know them about their family about their life and it's uh it's definitely it's a great format for getting to know another human isn't it well and in depth too like we like as we were saying earlier like uh it gives you a perspective on your life when you step back away from it but those conversations you have like i I really feel like you're growing as a person as you're out there and spending time with somebody as you have these in-depth conversations. But then the the laughs are like there's nothing funnier in this world than than being with a buddy out there. And and uh, God, we had a, a scenario the other day, you know, where I I missed a buck. I had the bad range, but I never laughed so hard in all my life, you know, for missing just razzing each other and uh, making jokes about it. And I'm the first one to make fun of myself, you know, before anybody else can. But um, yeah. I I just have so much fun sharing that with buddies. I think that's really cool and unique. Yeah, or or a silent crop dusting that your buddy in front of you on the trail gives you, just waiting for you to <laughs> gag, <laughs> waiting to see your reaction. <laughs> like man humor out there. It sure is. Yeah, it's definitely primitive. Well, man, it's so cool. So out to the states, and then you we were able to harvest a mule deer as well. So were you hunting um, their home state of Idaho? No, so uh, Cal and I ate our tags this year in Idaho, um, but it was still awesome trip, most hiking I've ever done in my life, <laughs> by like double, uh, <laughs> you know, doing long days, which is great. Um, I had an opportunity that I know I screwed up, uh, learned a lesson, <laughs> and uh, had a great time, and then I ended up going to Colorado after that. Uh, a buddy has access down there and invited me on a landowner tag. And, uh, yeah, I got to get a bull down there and then also get a, a mule deer buck. Oh, good for you. Um, Colorado's a beautiful state, isn't it? And, man, they've got great management in place, too, for just uh, really big deer. They have high populations of elk, and you can definitely kill some big ones there. There's some great elk hunting, but I love their mule deer hunting, and I'm so hooked like on the the high country mule deer is my thing in that early season like the it seems like the you know I'd love to be a sheep hunter but it's just out of my tax bracket and to try to draw tags here it, it's just nearly impossible and so years ago I found this high country mule deer hunting and these 
high country mule deer they just they live in these alpen basins and in these these shoots and they live you know in Colorado above thirteen thousand feet just in this really extreme terrain and and the only way to get to it is to backpack and carry everything on your back and so it's like these expedition style trips that you're gone for you know eight ten days and disappear and then you're really able to get away from other humans you know. I, the spot I hunted this year in Colorado, like I never saw another hunter the entire hunt, you know, and it was just me versus the deer in this extreme environment above 13,000 and just the, the fatigue you feel and, and, uh, to keep pushing on. But I, I just, I love that challenge and I love immersing myself in that country. So I, I'm, I'm just absolutely in love with Colorado. It's just a beautiful state. Man, that yeah, that high country uh, mule deer stuff looks awesome. I I really want to do that one of these days. Like my big muley trip that I, I got to go up to Alberta before. Oh wow! Last minute, um, uh, somebody wasn't able to make it. Um, so there there was a tag opening with again with Kenton and Ryan Callahan, and uh, they're like, hey man, if you make it, uh, you know you got a tag. You got to tell us today. And I was like flying to Bermuda to do a speaking engagement and I had no hunting gear. And, uh, I was like, yes, <laughs> figure it out after. And thankfully my, my lady was nice enough to, um, get my hunting gear together and ship it to Montana and made it up there. And, uh, yeah, that was all prairie hunting, which was super cool. I loved it. Um, didn't fill my tag. But uh, I, I'm hooked on the muleys. I, I just love that style of, like, crawling and and having to sometimes, you know, lay down and wait on an animal for three hours. I really like that. Yeah, man. Like, I, I love mule deer. So whether it's the high country, I've been hunting the mountains here late season. I went last weekend. Um, I'll have to – I got to upload – I did a Instagram story where I was at just this solo backpacking trip, zero-degree weather, big mountains, foot to two feet of snow. Um, but the the mule deer were going off, rutting in there. Or like you say, the, the prairie – I hunt a lot like in the Badlands and in there, this broken open country that I just love. But yeah, mule deer are so cool because – Every animal has this different style of hunting that kind of that kind of fits it. And so elk, you kind of hunt more aggressively. You've got to go get into them. You've got to make something happen. But those muleys, they're so methodical and slow and thought out precision stocks that you that you plan out. And like you say, the crawling and like sometimes it'll take you an hour to go 20 yards and just their ears yep. pick up sound so well. And they're, you know, they're switched on as well. Their instincts are so keen. And, and I love that style of hunting. I, I'm just hooked on it. So I'm glad to hear that you've had those same experiences and have also fallen in love with hunting muleys because a, a lot of like my Hawaii buddies, I haven't even got them to hunt mule deer yet. They're so hooked on elk that they come yeah. over every year and hunt elk, which elk are, is some of the most thrilling hunting you can ever have. And I, I don't blame them a bit, but I'm so hooked on muleys that I, I kind of want them to experience it a little bit and get a get a, a gist or a feel for it because every species in every different habitat is different but it's it's fun to embark on these different challenges so uh, i'm glad to hear that you're hooked on mule deer like i am yeah yeah i man i want to do it all all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, me too that's it well and it's I, i'm just constantly trying to structure my life to get more of it and more experiences and you know, we all have responsibilities and things we need to do. And I guess if you did it every single day, then you wouldn't look forward to it. Although, you know, yeah, I, 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 I'd like to try it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it we'll is. We'll bridge when we get to it, all right? <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? But, man, well, so cool. Um, well, I, I sure appreciate you coming on the podcast. I enjoyed our conversation. It's just so different than my life I live in here in, in Montana is why I have so many questions about surfing and spear diving. But I love hearing about your experiences uh, uh, bow hunting in just the last five years. And I, you've had a lot of success in the last five years, and, and I know you're going to have a ton more in the next five years just from your approach alone, man. Yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll see. I, I, I'm definitely not as bad as I used to be. But, uh, yeah, just working on that shooting and staying mindful in the situation and not, you know – not uh, changing my draw cycle or doing something stupid like leaning around a tree, you know, and, and torquing my bow. Uh, 
those are all things that I'm, I'm still working on. And I feel like, uh, you just need a lot of experience to get past that. Yeah. They're all hard lessons learned, aren't they? And they're heartbreaking at the time. But then once you learn that hard lesson of leaning around a tree and torquing your bow, you, you know, you hope that you never make that mistake again. Cause it's like ingrained in your brain that time that you messed up and, and man, failure in bow hunting is a prerequisite. And in every different scenario you have, you've had, I'm, I'm sure I've had five just like that. And I fail every single season, but that's the game, man. We're all just trying to get better and trying to improve and then trying to capitalize when we get those opportunities, trying to minimize those mistakes. But that's why it's so fun, you know? So what, so real quick and we'll wrap this thing up. It's been really fun talking to you, but what is, do you have like a, a shoot mantra that you use when you're shooting at animals or how do you kind of, uh, wh- what's your approach when you, when you are going to get a shot at an animal? Well, um, you know, I'm just, honestly, it's just, you know, draw, pull, pull my hand to my face instead of leaning my head in, you know, get the bubble straight and settle that pin um yeah so you can't think as clearly when you're in the moment so you let your instincts take over and let all the practice that you put in throughout the year take over and then you've got a few little checklist items that you make sure like you make sure your anchor's right and you you make sure you're anchored correctly and you make sure that you're not torquing your front hands relax so you've got a little checklist but it's tough to think over all those details when you're shooting like like you're almost in this 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 blur of adrenaline where you can only think at one thing at a time. I was just asking, I always think it's so interesting to hear, you know, if people have a shoot mantra and I've, I've had some over the years and then they change and now I'm back to another mantra, you know, right now mine is like, um, put the pin on the animal. Like, um, you know, I battled target panic in the past and I've corrected it through back tension shooting. And, um, you know, I've really made myself a a better archer and I, I strive for it every year, but for some reason I'll draw back on an animal. And for some reason I'm not putting my pin where I want it to hit and letting it float. Like all of a sudden I'll notice like my pins low and I'm waiting to put my pin on the spot to make the shot go. So like, yeah. So that's like one of my mantras. Now, the first thing I say to myself as I'm drawing back is put the pin where you want to hit. And I practice this on the target every time I'm shooting as well. And so I put that pin right on the animal, right where I want to hit. And now I say, let it aim. Because if I just make it go, as soon as my pin hits, I don't make an accurate shot. Like I got to let it swim there a little bit and let it kind of calm down a little bit. And then I'll execute a good shot. And so those two things are in my mantra here lately. So that's why I was asking just everybody's shot process is different. And and sometimes it's tough to think about when you're not in that scenario, but that's what I've been working on lately. Yeah. And actually I, I, I do have one and it worked for me on like, um, actually I, I did get to go hunt muleys in Arizona in the desert there. And, uh, it was oh, hard cool. opportunities. And, uh, I had one opportunity in this, you know, closest we could get 72 yards and, you know, standing on a cliff, like shooting down at it. But, uh, what a buddy told me and kind of what I did, I made it sound kind of harsh, but the whole time I was walking over there, I was like, I'm going to kill this animal. I'm going to kill this animal. Like not, I'm going to hit this animal. Like I'm going to kill this animal because I mean, that's what you're a very distilled version of your intention is to make sure that animal dies. So I think mentally that helped me. So I'm not just like, Oh, I hit the animal. It's like, I'm going there with the distinct intention to kill this animal right now, and it, that's what happened. Oh, good for you. Yeah, that is so important. You have to believe you're going to make it, and then also, like, you, you have to try to make your best shot. It, you're right. It isn't just hitting the animal. Like, it's trying to hit exactly where you're aiming and making a quick, clean kill, and it's kind of tough to wrap your mind around, but that is so important that – that, you know, if I'm going to shoot, I'm going to hit this animal perfectly and he's going to die. And it doesn't always work out that way for me. But, you know, that's yeah. that's what I try to believe, that if I'm going to take a shot, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for the right angle. Like, like I'm not going to rush this or mess it up on my part. And if I'm going to shoot, I'm going to make a good shot on him. And I believe 110% that I can make that shot and that animal is going to die. So, man, I think that's an important point. Yeah, thanks. Uh, still, I, man, I'm still... 
Still learning, still trying to get my head game down. <laughs> yeah, that's like all of us, man, me too. <laughs> you know, it's just we're always improving. But, uh, yeah, thanks again, Mark. It was really nice to meet you. Hopefully we can connect and do this again or maybe meet in person sometime. It'd be great. Yeah, let's go hunt. Give a shout. Maybe take you diving when you make it to Hawaii again. Man, I'd love to. Okay, thanks again. All right, have a good one. Yep. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um yeah, great episode of Eastman's Elevator. That Mark, he's a he's a super guy. I really got along with him good. It was a great back and forth. So uh, thanks to thanks to him for being on. Um, yeah, sponsor for today's show was Yeti. Um, yeah, make sure to check out Yeti. Just a great company with great products. Um, we've all seen and, and heard of their coolers. They have all different sizes, bear-proof container, uh, thermoses, coffee cups, you name it, they have it. So thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. And yeah, over there at Eastman's, uh, yeah, we'll get ready for this um, show. I want to get uh, uh, Brandon Mason back on. So we've got a, a Beyond the Grid. So this will be my first uh, internet um, TV show that I've had come out. Uh, you know, a lot of my, my filmed hunts have come out on um, on the Outdoor Channel. Well, this one's going to come out on the internet, on the Beyond the Grid. And this was this Alaskan caribou hunt I did um, this season. And so we put the footage together, and then we paired it with Brandon that did this this great adventure hunt where he did a float trip in Alaska. And they were able to get a caribou and had some close encounters with moose and, and just a great adventure. And so they kind of put it all together for one episode. Just did a great job. It turned out really good. Um, so really excited to share that with you guys. And so I want to get Brandon on and just talk about some Alaska hunting again and opportunities and, and, um, kind of talk about that show and things that went on. Um, so yeah, get Brandon back on and then we got some great guests coming up and, um, yeah, just texting back and forth. Um, I really like that, that Ryan Lampers and, um, going to get him back on the podcast here. We're going to try to get together for a live one now that he's moved to Montana. And so he's going to be back here and, uh, we'll touch bases, uh, after Christmas, get that one recorded. So just, just some great people, some great episodes coming up. I just, uh, I just absolutely love this platform and, and just trying to dive deep down the rabbit hole of Western hunting and bring you guys the best information I can and also live my best life and, and my most adventurous life. And like I say, you know, I talked about in the intro, how I'm always drawn to these, these people that are living their passion every single day. And I just, we're only on this earth for a short time. You know, you find things that you love to do and, and you spend as much time doing them as you can. And we all have other responsibilities and, and other things I enjoy too. You know, I enjoy spending time with my family and time with my girls. I enjoy, you know, fly fishing and, and horn hunting, trail running. Um, been trail running like a madman lately and it's it's great. I just get home and it doesn't matter that it's dark. It doesn't matter that it's cold. Uh, just out, you know, sharpening my mind and sharpening my body and so throw my headlamp on and go get lost down in the in the coolies or up in the mountains. Um, it's just been really fun. I just really enjoy it. I just didn't enjoy the process of, of preparing for these hunts and making sure I'm ready and God, I just been working so hard on shooting and, and physical fitness, and then and then my mind just having it in a good spot and a, in a good place. Um, yeah, life doesn't get much better. Uh, I'm also living my best life, enjoying as many things as I can. Some great trips coming up. Gonna go do Arizona um, with my buddy Dan. I wish I could go for a little bit longer, but um, you know his days off work, and then with the ATA show in there, we'll see what we can get away with. I think it's like maybe eight, nine days, which is a pretty long hunt. Um, I'm hooked on hunting those coos. I really think they make you better. Like every different habitat and different species, they they, they really help you with different attributes in your hunting. And, and um, those coos deer make you so good at glassing and spot and stock and game plan. And so I want to get down and hunt them. But And I'd also like to dabble in some of that desert muley hunting. Um, so yeah, I don't, we might give a... a you know, try to try to do a few days doing that, maybe a few days doing coups, and um, we'll see. We don't really have our our master plan yet, but I've been doing a lot of e scouting, um, looking on Onyx, and and uh, breaking down some units, and and trying to figure out. Uh, uh, where to go, but um, it'd just be enjoyable to have my bow and go soak in some heat, 70 degree weather, have this house done. I'm into my last day or two on that thing, kind of wrapping that up. And um, so, yeah, I'd be done with that and just um, just get out of here, this snowy cold weather here in Montana for, for uh, a week or so. And, and um, yeah, it's going to be a good time. 
So really looking forward to that. I got that trip to New Zealand I'm looking forward to in April, putting that together. So um, a lot of good things coming up, and um, I just got to continue to to work really hard at this podcast and try to try to structure my life to get the most out of it, like Mark, you know. So, um, but uh, thanks as always, guys, for the support. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we'll just keep this thing rolling. So um, I'll uh, uh, have a good week. Um, and keep working hard towards your goals, and and uh, we'll check in with you soon.